0: Thank you, Jason Addison. Good morning and welcome. In case I haven't met you, my name is Eric Colser. I serve as the pastor here of Gospel Collective Church. Again, so glad to see uh, some of you. First time back in a few weeks, uh, some people that are missing and watching uh, from home. Uh, But again, we're glad that you're here to join us in corporate worship um, as we began a series last week through the book of Genesis with a specific emphasis on Uh, how the gospel is revealed through this book of origins and beginnings. And so um, if you are watching, if you have the Bible before you, whether it's a phone, an iPad, uh, or a physical Bible, can you open up to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3. Last week we covered creation and uh, saw the gospel being revealed in those first two chapters. And uh, this week we're going to be studying the fall uh, where sin enters into the world And uh, um, as we focus on the sin part, we're going to see what we need saved from uh, in Jesus. So Genesis chapter 3, I am going to read the entire chapter and then we'll break it down after. So join me and listen with not only your ears, but your heart as well as we see Jesus in it. Genesis 3, starting off with verse 1, God's word says to us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, in dust you shall eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken." He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And this reads Genesis three, where we see again the fall, where we started this book series last week in an emphasis of the gospel revealed through the book of Genesis. Some of the most famous stories and scriptures that shows this. And last week, again, it was a great, great week. We got some very encouraging texts. Some emails. I think God was doing a work even before the sermon as uh, one of our uh, uh, church staff uh, approached me. Happened to be during the song talking about all creation that God has used or created. And uh, he came up to me saying that uh, uh, he was saving a baby bird. Okay. So I think even before the, the Sermon on Creation, our staff had to have a little bit of a burden on their heart for what God created. In fact, I heard a little bit later, he even went up to a college student and said uh, and fist bumped him and said, dude, I just saved the cardinal. Okay, Can you imagine like fist bump just like that while singing all creatures of our God and King? And uh, uh, it, it reminded me, I got a little bit scared there, I'm going to be honest. It reminded me a bit of uh, when the last time we sang that song, And uh, Jacob Godby had introduced it and shared a little bit about it. And uh, what, who was written by and for uh, St. Francis. And he had, he had shared that, uh, uh, that the guy that actually even wrote this song would even share the gospel with animals. And I'm like, oh man, we're going to become that church. Okay. We're going to have that church where you're going to see like, oh, the blessing of the animals come forth. Okay. And all of that. All right. And I'm like, oh man, where's this going to go to? But that was not what it turned into. They had a great heart. And uh, it was a kind of an unexpected thing even around our church office. Uh, Jacob, our uh, associate minister, hand-feeding it, taking it home to nurse it. Do not let your imaginations go wild with that one, okay? more support, encouragement, and and comments about that when I posted it on social media than probably anything else. Um, And so I see that you guys have a huge heart for God's creation and animals as well. In fact, someone in our church even emailed something else about the sermon, some encouragement about it. But uh, he had mentioned in this email, not knowing that we're like taking care of a baby bird behind the scenes, okay? But saying in this email, um, this about birds and just his thoughts on creation with kids and everything, he said, I I feel like if we taught our kids to develop an appreciation for creation, we won't have to worry about them being pulled by the shallow attractions of this world. And talking about beauty, I even told my wife that if I ever had to design something which involved a color scheme, I'd look to birds for inspiration. I'd never looked at a bird and thought to myself that it was poorly color coordinated. Again, no idea that we're like taking care of a little baby bird behind the scenes with it, okay? Um, but as we are going to cover this morning in Genesis chapter three, as beautiful and glorious that God's creation is, including that little baby red bird, we all have to face the consequences of what we read today, Genesis three, proof of the fall, which one, one, Proof of that fall was when I started seeing kind of texts and getting the little comments when you guys found out we were doing this. Of you guys uh, putting up scenes from the offices, bird funeral, um, and also Dumb and Dumber's, our pets' heads are falling off. Okay, so the fall starts—I don't doesn't start, but began in this process with you guys already not trusting us. But your guys, uh, your guys' opinions and guesses were right because fallen world. Without a vet or a wildlife rescue, within an hour and a half of the city, the poor bird passed. R.I.P. Little Red Friend. We will never forget you, (laughs) along with Harambe, watching us over right now. And because we all know these recordings are eternal and forever, if you are watching PETA, take note in names. Jacob Godby, Connor Woods, they took them in with great hearts and motive. You can save your red paint for them next week, okay? So, entering into the fall. Why we have death, both spiritual and physical. Everything that God created that was so beautiful, including the most beloved of His creation, human beings who was created to have a relationship with God, to worship Him. what happened was what we just read in chapter 3. Starting off with the first six verses. We you saw mankind, Adam and Eve, deceived into sin by Satan. You see, in the very first verse, as it starts off saying how the serpent was more crafty than anything that God had created. This, of course, was because it was the fallen angel Lucifer who wanted to be God and took the form of the snake to deceive Adam and Eve to go down the similar path he did. And he makes them question whether God actually made rules that they were to submit to, if they could actually trust God and what he said, and if there was potentially a better way in that disobedience. And listen, church, that same deceit still happens today where we are deceived into questioning God, if we could trust him, if these were actual rules that we are to submit to, and if there's a better way in disobedience. Yes, we are born into sin. Yes, we straight up choose it at times. But as described in these first six verses of Genesis 1, we are also, or Genesis 3, we are also deceived by it as described here. You also see in the very beginning of Genesis 3, judgment from God. That's why in Genesis 3, 3, it says that unless you listen, you follow this rule to not eat of this tree, That brings this knowledge. He says you will die. There's not getting. You cannot get around the judgment here. The wrath of God. And this. If one is to ignore and deny God's grace. A gift that we don't earn. We don't deserve. But he gives. And if we are to ignore or deny it. There is judgment, specifically here, it says death that comes. Again, we see this both spiritual and physical. And yes, I know Christians are stereotyped as fire and brimstone, judgmental Christians, and I know that that has been abused at times. But as we see from the very beginning, judgment is consequence. It's true. It's what we are saved from in the gospel, along with guilt and shame that comes from the consequence of sin. There's judgment here from God that we still have received because of sin. We see in verse 7, verses 11 through 13, and 16 through 19, that part of the consequences from sin entering into the world is alienation from one another. First, starting off with verse 7. Where it says Adam and Eve's eyes were open. They knew and recognized that they were naked. And they were ashamed as they used the surrounding natural vegetation for their first clothes. I know the crunchy hipsters would be proud of that right now. Verses 11 through 13 showing how they started blaming one another, how they started blaming Satan. No responsibility. No repentance as of yet. And this causes great conflict and division between anyone who sinned, that was involved, but also, as we see, between us and God. In fact, there is nothing that drives people apart like sinning together. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, whether it be... In a relationship, whether it be a friend group, whether it be marriage, family, work. But there is nothing that drives people apart like sinning together. We see here a disruption of the unity that we saw last week in creation. And you see it extended, verses 16 through 19, with division and conflict, with Their very own marriage that was, remember, created as one flesh. Ultimate unity. The two becomes one. As we had shared last week, how this is an image of the gospel of Jesus. When he takes you into a covenant with him and you become one with him. And that gift that was given that Jesus affirmed and even quoted coming from Genesis 2 that one flesh and marriage, now you see division and conflict. And also what was good in the cultural mandate from work to advancing society to having kids and a family, sin affected it all and caused alienation, alienation and what was fruitful, supposed to be fruitful and what he proclaimed to be good and very good. And then last of all, we see, going back to verses 8 through 10, you see shame before God. They didn't just cover themselves because they, for the first time, knew that they were naked. But then they hid themselves from God. And God says, as they were walking in the cool of the day, calls for them, and they know they've disobeyed him. They know that something's wrong. And so what did they do instead of going to him? They hid from him. Shame that led to fear. They knew their sin. And they hid themselves from God because of it. And listen, church. These effects of the fall, everything from being deceived into sin by Satan, although we are born, although we do choose it, but being deceived into it, judgment from God, alienation, disunity, and conflict with one another and shame before God, those are all the same struggles and specifically sins we deal with today and need the gospel of Jesus for. We're still deceived into sin. We still have judgment, alienation, and shame before God. Although often we have been hardened where we tend to be blind to sin, sometimes relish in it. This is true, but ultimately sin does lead to shame. We cannot get away from, whether it be consequences, but also judgment as well. That's why all, almost all famous literary stories reveal this. And Churchill's and I, I was, even, I was even reminded of this myself this week. In, in the middle of the night when, when praying to the Lord, praying after a coffee visit with a couple where they had shared with me um, in that coffee visit that uh, they had visited our church several times and, and they had shared with me that since they had moved here since the summer, they had visited 12 other churches. And as they shared that after visiting 12 other churches and here several times, um, they felt God was leading them to here, but then shared with some of the reasons why they felt like God was leading us here. And I hear it at the time. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. That's great. And answering some questions. But then later on that night when I started praying for them, <laughs> by God's grace, I wasn't blind to this. I started recognizing deep pride in my heart, talking to the Lord originally, and then talking to myself in the middle of this prayer saying, yeah, those were some slight changes that we did as a church that they specifically said that they liked us for wow 12 churches and we were the best out of all of them and i started talking to myself like we're a pretty dang good church yeah and i started talking like not even to god to myself where all of a sudden i recognized this is said, oh my goodness look at this pride i'm so sinful still deceived into something that would be good yes Amen. Yes, we can help you join community, point you to Jesus. But all of a sudden, I recognize sinful pride as a pastor creeping into my heart. That there will be consequences for, that there should be shame and repentance needed within it. I mean, this God will tear this church apart if pride is not recognized and repented. It's, it's bad news that comes from this chapter. All those things, the alienation from one another, the shame, judgment ultimately. How we're continually being deceived. It's that type of bad news that makes the good news of the gospel, so good. It does. That's why R.C. Sproul had once said, the gospel is only good news when we understand the bad news. And we can't escape the bad, but it's why it makes the good news truly and wonderfully good. And listen, church, in this very chapter, although it's known As the bad, we see the good as well. We see the gospel of Jesus being revealed, glimpses of what's to come. First, we see it in what is called the proto-evangelium of this chapter. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first announcement of the gospel. In fact, before reading that one verse real quick, It's one of my favorite scenes of Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ, if you remember that, all the way back from, I think, 2004, 2005. It was the scene that he took the most creative liberties to make, which is pretty much combining two good words, creative and liberties, to say this is made up or didn't really happen at the very beginning. I don't know if you remember the movie. It shows Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, literally, physically tempting him, which, again, is not in the Bible. But while Jesus is face down on the ground, crying out to God in tears, praying, asking for deliverance another way, which is in Scripture, Satan is watching him, physically talking to him, tempting him, and a snake just pops out from under his robe like he pooped it out or something. I don't know. <laughs> but all of a sudden, starts slithering toward Jesus, who is weak, face on the ground, fetal position, praying, And suddenly, as it starts crawling across his leg, he gets up, he looks at Satan right in the eye, and with confidence, I'm going to break something here, he stomps on that snake's head. It was tribute or props to this passage right here that's not in any of the Gospels, but written instead in Genesis 3. And I love it. Jesus, at this time, after Satan tempted Adam and Eve, which causes the fall and everything we know and see that is wrong with the world today and ourselves and our need for Jesus, the world and us. When it all began, he first looks at Satan. And he says this, verse 15, I will put enmity, another word for hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But in her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, again, that one verse, just in context, even when I read all of the verses in chapter 3, may have not stood out, but it should. Because this verse right here establishes a principle that runs throughout the Old Testament. It creates an expectation of a redeemer who would be a descendant or, as Scripture says, offspring or some of your translation says, a seed that's going to come from Adam and Eve. Of course we know that that offspring of the woman is Jesus, born of a woman. In fact, this is the very first prophecy made of the Messiah who will come to deliver and save. And the hostility and hatred spoken of here is between Satan, the human race, but also what will be the seed or the offspring, Jesus Christ. And although Satan will bruise. This plans heal. Ultimately, that Messiah will bruise, or some of your translations that says, crush Satan's head. I don't know about you, but from the very beginning, when he looks at Satan and says this, you will not have victory in this. I'm going to ultimately defeat you. I love you. The assurance of that. This is the victory of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness established from the very beginning. This is what's echoed by Jesus when saying that the gates of hell will be set against the church. But he assures his disciples that the church will be victorious. This is the work of redemption that unfolds in enemy territory. Where there's tireless opposition by Satan and his demons as he does everything he can to bruise the salvation plan's hill. But the story of redemption is not a cliffhanger to the very end. But it's a promise from the outset that Satan's defeat and his doom is sealed it's, again, assurance that our work in ministry is to be worked out within the context of this versus assurance of victory rather than the prospect of defeat. That we are to be equipped and ready for battle, but with the certainty that this decisive battle with the enemy has already taken place and it's been won in Jesus Christ. The victory in one verse with God through Jesus telling Satan as bad and as hard as it will get. As you do everything to bruise the heel of this salvation plan, you will not win. And some of his very first words to Satan after his involvement in the fall. Again, church, we should love this that we have a promised victory that Satan knows about. Next, where you see the gospel in the fall, Genesis 3, verses 20 through 24, specifically verses 20 and 21, where you have after the judgment, the consequences that we read about, that we still face today, you have a gospel hope. Look at verses 20. The man, the skin right after. God not only tells Satan, but shares with Adam and Eve the consequences of such sin. Then in verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21 And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them where we see the gospel hope after judgment here, first in verse 20, where he names Eve, a name that represents a giver of life. Again, God's words of judgment on the serpent, the woman, man, immediately followed by these two observations that convey hope. Eve, which means life giver. As mentioned last week, Adam's name means man or son of the red earth. Eve gets the name life giver. Eve didn't just get the better name of the two, but there's implications that through the life that only women can give that comes from Eve will come the one who will bring, again, ultimate eternal life. God adds and gives a personal name that defines her destiny even after they both sinned before him. A name to remind them of the promise of verse 15. That through the seed and life that she gives, it will bring bring the beginning of hope. Where so much of this chapter and story of the fall represents death at the beginning of it, Judgment on the serpent and humankind, painful labor and work, conflict of wills, a ray of hope remains in the promise that the seed of this woman who feels hostility towards Satan will defeat the incarnation of evil through what will come in Jesus. Eve, you will be the life giver that through that life will come my son will save you from this. Second, we see in verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now again, just reading that, especially upon the context of all the remaining verses, it may not stick out. But this verse, as God clothes this couple, this final action recognizes that the human couple, now ashamed of their nakedness and God's presence, This right here is a gesture that suggests that God still cares for man, his beloved creation. Because what they did when they covered up with their loincloth, which was inadequate to cover their shame, but in this one verse right here, God takes the sacrifice of animals seen here to a covering to temporarily again cover their shame in a way they didn't know how to deal with. But because God provides such garments to clothe Adam and Eve, requiring the death of an animal, first death, to cover their nakedness, which is a parallel here related to two things. Number one, the system of animal sacrifices that's going to come later to atone for sin instituted by God later through the leadership of Moses in Israel. And two, what that represented related to the gospel, the eventual sacrificial death of Christ as that atonement for sin. This verse right here depicts an image of God's tender care for this couple that through this sacrifice, he restores the alienated couple to fellowship with him to one another and it is again a parallel to the system of animal sacrifices that they needed to continue to cover their sin, temporarily temporarily remove, forgive them, restore, but where Jesus would do it once and for all. Being that perfect lamb, the sacrifice, so that we can be once and for all forever restored in a relationship with them. Where Christ once and for all again, took our shame upon himself. So we won't have to hide. Because here is the gospel hope for you. You don't have to hide. That guilt and shame we still feel because of sin, the alienation you feel with others and God, you don't have to seek other temporarily temporary appeasements over. The Creator God who enables a way to cover your sin. That means that when we're tempted to hide, like Adam and Eve in the very beginning, because of our sin, whether it's sin we chose or sin done against us, whether it's the steps that you've taken to now kind of try to cover the truth, cut certain corners, Whether it's going where you said you'd never go or starting to become who you said you'd never ever be. And ever since, maybe you've been taking steps similar to Adam and Eve to cover up where you were, what you did, who you are, and you've been in hiding. Whether that be hiding from the people closest to you, like family members, To your very own conscience and from God himself. Maybe even being in church as of lately or being around people from church has been a struggle because of the covering up and hiding. And whether that's one incident or again a lifestyle, you need to know that Jesus has crushed the head of that serpent and his death and resurrection and wants to cover you and cover that shame, and relieve of that judgment with his forgiveness and his righteousness. Genesis 3 is for you with gospel hope just as much as it reveals what is wrong with us in the world. We still see that gospel hope from it in the midst of such consequences Shame and judgment because God shows how there's ultimately no hope and ultimate. There's hope and ultimate victory and that Messiah to come to defeat that deceiver. And that he cares for you and will cover your sin. When you put your trust in that Messiah and what he did on that cross, that sacrifice and the power he gives with the same power that rose him from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, death. And when offering it to you out of grace, and you say, I turn from my sin, and I have saving faith in you. Cover me, forgive me, restore that right relationship with me. And listen, Some of you may need that right now. Let him care, cover, and bring you back to him. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? In a moment, the band is going to play. We're going to sing and worship the God through Jesus that has covered us and forgiven us. But before we do, With everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down, I do want to ask two quick questions. One, if you're in here and you've never ever, whether you've grown up in church or this is fairly new to you, but you would say, I know I have sin that separates me from God. And again, whether I've grown up in church or not, I know I've never truly asked and received them to come into my life and to save me cover me and as you shared as Adam and Eve was an example of and it still is the result of today I still have this sin that I'm trying to hide from others and God and I need Jesus to forgive and cover me and I know he cares for me if that's you and you've never done that and you'd say I know the only way to have that right relationship with him that was created for is by turning from my sin, repenting of it, knowing and trusting that Jesus took it upon himself to suffer those consequences by taking that sin upon himself on that cross, that he rose from the grave, only what God, Jesus, can do, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And he's offering to me right now that new life and forgiveness. And I want to receive that with everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down, if you've never done that, but you know out of God's love and care for you, he's offering that to you and you want to receive that right now, will you just lift up your hand real quick so I can pray for you and give you some steps to be able to ask Jesus in your heart. Whether that's from home, you know you need to do this on your own or again in here. Who everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down, just lift up your hand Say I need to receive Jesus for the very first time. Okay. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed down still, if you're in here and you'd say, I know that I am a Christian. I know I've received Christ. I know that he has forever forgiven me and I have that relationship with him. But as we all know, although we are forever with God, he walks with us, he gives us the Holy Spirit that convicts us of certain times that assures us, but if you're in here as a Christian, that you know you're struggling with certain sin, that you are suffering consequences of what you were reminded of today, that you're trying to cover up, that there is shame, that there is a hiding that's taking place between you and maybe others, family, friends. And again, although we know it can't ever happen with God, we kind of hope with God as well. And as a believer, if you are struggling with some of those very things and God is speaking to you in this specific text and his word, because he cares for you and he loves you and he wants you to be covered and freed and forgiven. Although that has happened already forever when you received him, but right now, so that you don't have to hide anymore. If that's you and you know you need to repent, and you just need to start walking the right way again. As a believer, with everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down, will you raise up your hand, confessing that to the Lord right now? And then will you spend some time in prayer with him, talking to him, confessing, freeing. Again, if that's you as a Christian, go ahead and raise your hand up real quick. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Get in a moment here, We're gonna sing and worship the God that provided Jesus to forgive and cover us. And that should bring great joy and freedom as we sing this truth. But before we do, will you spend time with our Heavenly Father, thanking Him, that as we studied the chapter that made everything go wrong, we see glimpses of the gospel hope, the forgiveness, freedom, that he gives the victory that he promised over Satan and such struggles. Spend some time with him right now, and then I'll pray and we'll sing. Jesus, thank you so much that in spite of our sin, like Adam and Eve were able to feel, that in spite of that sin, you care for us. You love us. You forgive and cover us. God, that we don't have to keep on hiding from you. And the alienation... Separation and conflict that we feel because of such sin is ultimately answered in the hope of Jesus Christ. And that although our world is not perfect and this church is not perfect, and our marriages, our, our families, our, our community and friend groups, even the mission that you have sent us on, that is all affected still by the fall, we have hope and victory unlike anything else in this world can give, to bring peace, unity, forgiveness, and to give life to others. God, I pray, Lord, that we are reminded, and this morning we'll sing and walk in that hope and victory, not sitting in shame and hiding, but to walk in the hope and victory of the gospel that we see in the most known chapter of bad news. We thank you for giving it to us through your son, Jesus. Let us now sing and celebrate that our life is yours and our hope is in you. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.